Uh, today we continue uh, the series of messages on heaven, and we'll have four more weeks for that. And uh, today I, I want to, I, I wrestled with this uh, all week and uh, struggled with it. Uh, um, and one reason is we still are all kind of displaced in our office. You know, we again are doing a great and much needed updating to that with uh, painting, taking wallpaper off painting and getting a new carpet and all that. But that meant everything had to be packed up and out. So my study at home is a total disaster. I've got about 20 books uh, on the floor around me that uh, I've been trying to study from for this uh, and um, uh, trying to answer some of the questions about heaven and all that, that we're thinking about. One of the issues is about that heaven is provided for us as we see as our eternal home because one day we will die. We'll be going home. And I hope that that's where your home is going to be. It's where your heart is. Then that's where you'll follow after Christ. And so I've struggled about this. How am I going to do this in the next four weeks and talk about that? Well, last week we looked in a passage in Revelation where we said that John just kind of parted the, the curtains or the veil of heaven just a little bit so we could see a little bit of what is going to take place in eternity that we know as heaven. And so we could have just a hint of heaven. Well, today we're going to look at a very, very familiar passage of Scripture, John 14. We've seen part of it on the video where Jesus is talking about uh, leaving his disciples, departing from this earth, but he's going home. And I think there's a sense of excitement with him about that. There's a sense of nostalgia about that, that he's going home. And he's also telling his disciples that he's going to prepare a place where they can be with him for all eternity. So let's look at that passage of scripture, and then we'll look a little bit later on at Revelation 21 and talk about our eternal home. In John 14, Jesus is speaking. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And as I've already mentioned, I think there was a certain sense maybe of excitement, maybe a little nostalgia, maybe a bittersweet thought about that because Jesus knew what he had to go through before he could go home. And that is he had to face the cross and the crucifixion there. But I think Jesus was excited to be able to tell the disciples, I I'm going home and I'm going there to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back one day and get you and so that you can be with me for all eternity so that their home would be in eternity. So I started thinking about home. And I think for most of us when we think about home, and we think about maybe a family gathering, a place of warmth, a place of security, a place of affirmation. Uh, there should be a feeling of if you're not in the home where you grew up, and, and you know that, there, that there's a, maybe a sense of nostalgia when you think about some things from the past. You know, most of you know that I grew up in the small town of Earhart in Bamberg County. Uh, Rick is from Bamberg County, but he grew up in the county seat, the big town of Bamberg. And uh, some of you have uh, been to my house, and there's a, there's a picture of it. Um, just, last, just this past week, while I was working on this message, Emily Ann, our daughter uh, in Wagner, and uh, her husband Philip is the pastor of First Baptist Wagner, were going down to Beaufort from Wagner to go see some friends in the church, spend a day and a half with them or so. 
How in the world they got routed, I still don't know how they did this, but somehow it brought them into Earhart on Highway 61, right in front, 64, right in front of my house. And for many years, that was my home. From the time I was a little boy until I sold it in 95, that was, that was home. And when she sent me that picture, I said, boy, that just brings back some memories, you know, some really precious memories. That was my room, that was my sanctuary there, you know, where I had my time. Uh, there was... Uh, there was family gatherings every year in August for my grandmother's birthday. Every Christmas, uh, everybody was there. My mother was one of seven children, and there were aunts and uncles and, and nieces and nephews and cousins, and all of that crowded into that house for those times. I remember those. Uh, and then it was neat for me to be able later on in life to take, uh, take our children there and let them see where I grew up and spend some time in that house. And I want to see how many of you are old enough to have known a house like this. That's the house I grew up in. I'm not sure how old, it, how old it really was, but probably close to 100 years old. Uh, but from the room to room in that house, there was something called door sills. Any of you remember a door sill in a house? Nope, you remember those? You, you seen those? My children would learn to walk, you know, and then we'd go to Earhart, and they would, they would come across a door sill, and they never encountered it before, and they were always falling. And that was always something I remembered about that. And I then, you know, we're not living in it, for a long period of time like that. I always had to be careful too. I didn't stump my toe on it. But anyway, when she sent me that picture, I said, you know, that kind of helps me think about what Jesus was talking about when he met in the upper room with the disciples and he talked about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I think there was a certain sense of nostalgia that he had about that. I think there were some memories that he had. He had to have been thinking about what it was like. Now, Jesus was looking forward to going back to heaven. He came from heaven. He was going back to heaven. And I think it was good news he wanted to tell the disciples that I'm going to come back when it's prepared and when the time is right and I'm going to gather you and I'm going to take you home that where I am, there you can be also. And I also find it interesting that heaven is referred to as home for God in at least 500 passages throughout the scripture. In Luke 19, 12, heaven is called a country for that's where people live. In 2 Peter 1, heaven is called a kingdom for that is where subjects live. In Hebrews 11.10, heaven is called a city, for that's where citizens live. In John 14.2, we just read that. Jesus calls heaven his home, for that's where families live. And so heaven, uh, we look at it this way, is the home of a godly family. And because we are God's family, and believe me, uh, there will be nothing but good feelings when you're there. It will be that place of security. It will be that place of affirmation. It will be that place of of constant fellowship and wonderful times and be no bad memories there. And I hope every one of us is, is anticipating heaven and, and wanting to go to heaven. Uh, I like the story told uh, of a teacher in Sunday school asking her class uh, how many of them would like to go to heaven. And all of them raised their hand and said, well, one little boy named Derek. And she said, Derek, you don't want to go to heaven? He said, I'd like to go, teacher. But he said, my mama told me to come straight home after church. Well, like that little boy Derek, a lot of Americans, in fact 77% of them are anticipating going to heaven and spending eternity there. And they say that their chances are great to excellent that they're going to get there. Now, with the cultural landscape the way it is in our country today and the different denominations and different thoughts and different spiritual values and all that, I have to wonder about that 77%, are they sure about the way to get there? And Jesus also makes sure uh, that we know the way 
to heaven. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. And you have to be prepared. You have to have a reservation in there for going home. But we also know that with all this skepticism and, and attacks now on Christianity, isn't it interesting that everybody is supposed to be tolerant except tolerant towards believers? That's the way I see this tolerance in our culture today. We have to be tolerant of every other belief, every view and all that out there, but there is no tolerance given to our faith and our practices whatsoever. Something's wrong in this country. A lot of things are wrong. A lot of things we need to be in prayer about. And there's still people who scoff. Even, even Freud, you go back to him, he said this about heaven. He said, heaven was a human fantasy rooted in man's instinct for self-preservation. He was a smart man, but he wasn't really smart. And then Alfred North Whitehead, a Harvard professor, once said this about heaven, the thought about heaven. He said, can you imagine anything more appallingly idiotic than the Christian idea of heaven? You know, when I read these quotes that these people said, I, I, want, I look at God sometimes and I say, God, why didn't you just strike them dead? If I was God and he would, they were talking about me that way, I think I would want to, wouldn't you? I like, you know, in all honesty, I, I think he might get some people's attention if he started knocking out these people and taking them away. Of course, you know why he's not doing it? They're lost. That's why, that's the only reason he's not doing it. They're lost. And he knows where they'll spend eternity. But I'm hoping that we're ready to go to heaven. I believe in heaven. I believe I'm prepared to go. Not because I'm good enough. But because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. He died for my sins. I believe in that. I accepted him. And I believe I'm going to heaven. I believe I'm going to spend eternity with heaven. A lot of things I'm looking forward to in heaven. Most important thing, I'm looking forward to seeing my Savior face to face. Amen? So, what can we say about heaven as our eternal home? I just want to go over a few things rather quickly today. Some of it you have to read up on for yourself. First of all, I would say to you, heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place. You know, you can't see it from here. You can fly at 45,000 feet and you won't see it. You can go in a space shuttle. And wherever that takes you all up into the heavens, uh, it, you, you're not going to see it. But heaven is a real place and it's on God's map. It wouldn't be mentioned in the Bible so many times if it wasn't real. Jesus wouldn't have taught about it if it wasn't real. Now on that night in the upper room with the disciples recorded in John 14, Jesus was talking to them about that place called heaven. But he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where, you are, where I am, I will come and receive you. That where I am, there you may be also. He's talking about their home in heaven. He was talking about coming and getting them and taking them to his home. And letting him show them that. He came from heaven. He was going back to heaven. He was coming back to claim his believers and taking them back home with him. Heaven is a real place. Now twice in that passage Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And the Greek word place is the word topos, from which we get the word topography, which means like the study of the land, the study of the lay of the land, or the study of places. Heaven is not just a state of mind, it's a real place. It's not just an attitude about pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. But heaven is the place where God resides, where Jesus sits, where angels serve, where saints sing. It's the throne of the Father and the home of believers. Do you believe that? I do. It's a real place. And it's reinforced over and over and over again in Scriptures. It says in John 6, 38, Jesus said He came down from heaven 
In Matthew 6 and 9, he taught his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. The book of Hebrews, the writer tells us that Jesus, after he had performed all the work for him, for our redemption, sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And Luke writes of the ascension of Jesus saying that while he blessed them he was carried into heaven. And I want to go back to the Old Testament. I've already talked, mentioned briefly about the state of this country and I'm deeply troubled about it. And I hope that you are too. And we don't just need to sit around and twiddle our thumbs and say, oh Lord this is the end. Lord you ought to, like I said, you ought to just strike them dead and let's start over and all that. You know he did that before with the first great flood. He promised the next time it happens is going to be by fire and all of that and it's be destroyed. And we talk about that in Peter a little bit later on, not today, but later. And that's why he talks about in Revelation a new heaven and a new earth. And I think some of you will maybe struggle with some of the things that I think the Bible says about that and where we will spend eternity. But, but there's some struggle in this country today because of, of all the, the, the anti-tolerance of Christian beliefs and the nuns, those who believe in nothing, no spiritual value whatsoever. I go back to the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And I think it's something we need to claim today. Because God is speaking and He says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now there's a promise of revival and it comes from God who says He will hear from heaven and He will forgive our sins and He will heal our land. Now, still not everybody believes that heaven's a real place. 1950, Bertrand Russell, the Nobel Prize winner for literature, wrote about heaven and a heavenly end of life by saying this. He said, There is no splendor, no vastness anywhere, only triviality for a moment, then nothing. Nothing. And the uh, uh, early service this morning, the traditional service, uh, Joel Yarborough sang the song, I Can Only Imagine. And you know that's a great song. I can only imagine what I'm going to do when I get to heaven. You know, and, and, and you know the song. You know, am I going to fall down before him? Am I going to dance? Am I going to sing? And you know, all of that. I can only imagine what I'm going to do. Are we going to be so awestruck? I don't know what we'll do. But uh, some of you might remember another one song that had the name Imagine in it. In fact, that was the name of the song by John Lennon. You remember that? And John Lennon's lines, I'm not going to sing it for you, but said this, contains some of these phrases. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Now, I was still a teenager when that song came out. And even then I thought, you know what? That, that, that song talked about hopelessness. No heaven or no hell. Just live for today. And the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed eternity in our, in our heart. We long for eternity. We're made for eternity. Not in this world, but in the world to come in a relationship with Christ. So, I don't understand that. People think it's only for today. Only living for today. I want to tell you, heaven is a real place and that better be the goal where you want to live for eternity. Now, the second thing I would say about heaven is this. And this is, oh, this is what, where the Bible describes it in such a beautiful fashion. Heaven is a regal place. I mean it is going to be a glorious, glorious place. And the picture that we have in the Bible, what we do here about it is so, just so spellbound. Let me say several things about it being real. First of all, it's special. It's special because God is there and He's waiting for us. 
I was talking to one of the members of our church yesterday, wedding reception, and over the Easter holiday they went to New York. So it's the first time I'd been there. And it reminded me of a story I heard about uh, a family was in New York, and back then they, the big thing to do was go to the Empire State Building, go up that. I, I, I've been in New York once, uh, and that was, I, I had to do that. And I'd never been afraid of heights until I got to the top of the Empire State Building and I looked down. And now, I, ooh, I get that kind of feeling when I get high, you know. But this family was visiting for the first time, so they got in the elevator at the, at the Empire State Building. You know how it takes off, and it's just boom, shooting you up like that. And I think maybe you have to stop and change elevators. I'm not sure, but it seemed like that's what we had to do at one point in time. Well, as that little boy was standing there watching those things light up past 70 and all that, he grabbed his daddy's hand and he said, Daddy, does God know we're coming? <laughs> well, let me tell you, God knows that we are coming. He knows that his children, he knows that his true believers are coming and he has made preparations. It's well been said that heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Are you prepared for heaven? Remember that Jesus said, not once but twice in this passage in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Think about it this way. The master carpenter is still building. On earth he's building his church. In heaven he's building a home for his church. He's getting the honeymoon suite ready for his bride. You know who that is? That's us. That's you. That's me. That's the church. That's all believers in Christ. We're the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. Now, there's something interesting about that word, prepare. Now, a week ago, somebody asked me, what does it mean? It says Jesus is going to prepare that for us. Well, it means he's going to make sure everything is ready. This master carpenter is still at work. And he's not going to come back to reclaim the church until everything is ready. The time is right. More people have been saved. The Bible gets out in more people's hands into different dialects. There's still thousands of languages out there that the Bible has not been translated in. And while we think about the fact that, you know, uh, his return could be any day, I think there's several other things that yet have to take place before that takes place. But think about this, that when, when, when that, Jesus used that word prepare, and then sometimes we go to 1 Corinthians 2.9, and we talk about the fact that what Paul simply said was, the eye has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It's the same word that's used when it says Jesus is going twice to prepare a place for us. That means it's a special place that God has prepared for us. The carpenter of Nazarene, noting Jesus, is going to build a, a home, a room, or a mansion, whatever you want to call it, whichever translations you prefer. And one day he's going to return and take us there. Now the second thing I want you to see is that it is spacious. And by saying that I simply want to say to you, it means that there is plenty of room in heaven for everybody. In John 14 I said different translations. Some of them say, my father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places, or rooms. I think that the correct uh, translation of the word is that there are many rooms. And when we turn over and we look in... Uh, we look in, in Revelation 21, we find some things about that that talks about the fact that heaven is so spacious. And, and why would there be many rooms? It's simply to say there's plenty of room for everybody. You know, when Jesus came and was born, there were no vacancy signs at every inn, every place. There was no place except a stable for him to be born. There won't be a sign like that in heaven saying no vacancy. There's plenty of room. But you have to be prepared to go to the place that's prepared for you. And God makes it a special way. And, and it is a very special place. And it's a spacious place. All you have to do is have a reservation to get in. 
But when you look at Revelation 21:16, it tells us something about how spacious it really is. It says that it measures uh, 12,000 furlongs or 12,000 stadia in, in length, breadth, and height. And that, that means it's about 1,500 miles long and wide. And when you would, if you were to take that image, that much, that much land, that much area, and drop it on the map of the United States, it would take up a great portion, a significant portion of the, of the eastern part of the United States. That's how big it is. Now, I didn't figure this out, and I didn't do the math to correct them, basically because, I mean, to figure out if they were right or wrong, because I wouldn't know how to do that. But... Imagine something about how, how big and how spacious it is. Some people have gone on to say not only is it, is, it 12, is, it, is it 1,500 miles wide and long, but it's the same thing in height, length, and width are equal. And they make the analogy to the Empire State Building. It says if the Empire State Building has over 100 stories at roughly 10 feet per floor, uh, it, 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 then this city, New Jerusalem, has stories measuring not just 10 feet, but say 15 feet in height, then it would have 528 stories to it. Now that's a skyscraper. And Revelation 21 is described as it would first of all be seen kind of hovering over the earth. And I think later on then it comes and settles down by, on, the, on the earth. And that's the new Jerusalem on a new earth. And we have to get into all kinds of things to understand that. And so that city would have a grand total of 1,188,000,000 square miles. Pretty spacious city. Some people who study the uh, uh, people on, the, on planet Earth say that since the beginning of time there have been approximately 32 billion people who have lived. Now using this formula they've talked about the fact that if every one of those 32 billion people went to heaven that there would be 198 square miles for each family in that New Jerusalem. Well, we know everybody hasn't gone to heaven, and everybody's not going to heaven because they choose not to. So let's say even half of the people who have ever lived make it to heaven. There'll still be 400 square miles per family. Now, the whole thing about it is, if you've got a, a, a 1,200 square foot house, a 3,500 square foot house, a 10,000 square foot house, you know, it doesn't matter. It's going to pale in existence in, in comparison to the eternal home that God has prepared for you. And it is spacious, it is grand, it is glorious, and there's room for everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. Now there's something else I want to tell you about why it's regal, and that's because it is splendid. Now I also like the story told of a little boy who was out walking with his grandfather one night, and the stars were out, and the moon was bright, and it was a beautiful night. And the little boy just stopped for a while, and he was just kind of stargazing. And his granddaddy said, what are you doing, son? And the little boy said, well, Dad, I was just looking up and thinking, if heaven is this beautiful on the outside, I wonder what it's like on the inside. Well, the Bible gives us a little glimpse into that. And it is splendid. And I'm reminded of what R.G. Lee said one time about heaven. He said that heaven was the most beautiful and marvelous place that the wisdom of God could conceive and that the power of God could compare, prepare. That's heaven. That's how splendid it is. You know, sometimes even, even John, caught up in that vision and revelation, had a hard time keeping up with his words and maybe even believing them about how, how special heaven's going to be, how splendid it's going to be. But he says something in Revelation 21 too. He says that she is a bride adorned for her husband. I'm talking about the church making that journey there. 
I guess on her wedding day, a bride is the most beautiful that uh, she ever is. A lot of time is spent into that, getting the hair just right, the makeup just right, getting that beautiful white dress. We had a wedding here yesterday, and I thought about that same thing when I watched that bride come down the aisle, and I thought, boy, she is so beautiful coming to meet, meet her husband, meet her groom. You know, and I thought, that's, that's the picture of us as a church. And she was beautiful and radiant yesterday. Well, Revelation 21 goes on to describe the, the, the radiance in heaven and the splendor in greater detail. And, and he describes for us there in chapter 21 that the city will have walls of jasper and the foundations of precious stones and the streets will be solid gold like glass and the gates, they will be the pearly gates. We've already talked about that. Each of them with a single, a single pearl on them and the 12 gates. Now, if you look through the colors that are listed there, when it talks about all these pretty and different uh, precious stones, you got some that are clear, you got some that are blue, you got some that are grayish, some that are green, you got some that are blood red, you've got yellow quartz, you've got another color of yellow green, you've got the gold, uh, blue, and then you also have rich purple. I mean, it's just a beautiful array of that. And I read a story just this week in doing all this research about. Uh, about an artist who was sitting in his workshop when a friend came in and he had his Bible open to Revelation 21 verses 19 through 20. You might want to read that this afternoon. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, he said, I'm arranging all these squares of colored glass. And they're exactly the ones that were mentioned here in Revelation 21. And what I have discovered is that they describe uh, the vision that form a perfect harmony of color. And he said, you could get a convention of artists called to produce a perfect color scheme, and they couldn't improve upon it. Well, you know why they couldn't improve upon it? Because God did it. And that's just not by happenstance. But that is just an absolutely glorious picture that God is sparing no expense on making this a splendid place for us. Uh, another thing, final on that point is, it's a spiritual place. And I want to clarify something about that. By saying it's a spiritual place, I do not mean that it's not a real place, but it's just a spiritual place. You see, this is a spiritual place, but it's also a real place in it. It's a real building. We walk into it. We sit in real pews. We're on the map. You know, we have an address, 91 Polo Road. It's a spiritual place, though, because we're supposed to be spirit-filled people. And, and, and heaven is also a spiritual place and in that same concept. And, and the reason that it's a spiritual place is because God is there. And we will be with God for all eternity. That's where He dwells. And God says some things about it that He's going to do in a spiritual way. He says that God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. And when He talks about new heaven and a new earth, it's interesting of which word He used in the Greek language for new. There are two words for new in the New Testament. One means new in appearance, and the other means new of a kind, the first thing in its order. And it's that one, the second one, the first in its order that's used to describe the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth. Now, in order to accurately describe it, John is forced to use some of the great negatives. No more sea, that means there's nothing that separates us. That's what the sea means there. You remember John was exiled on the island of Patmos, and he was separated by that sea from from the mainland and from everybody else that he loved. There's no more tears. That means there'll be nothing that saddens us. There's no more death. There'll be nothing that causes us to grieve. There'll be no more pain. That means there'll be nothing that will hurt us. There'll be no more sin. There's nothing that will defile us. There'll be no more night. There'll be nothing that frightens us. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, think about this. 
There won't be any ambulances going down that beautiful golden street with the sirens going to an emergency situation. There won't be any more bodies racked with arthritis or stricken down with cancer and dying of a horrible death. There won't even be any obituary columns in the newspaper if there is one up there. There'll be no more violent school shootings. There won't even be any cemeteries up on any kind of windswept hill or family plot or wherever you might envision one. There'll be no more wars. There'll be no more crime. No more hatred. That's how special it is. That's how regal it is. Can you imagine that? Go home and read that today. Revelation 21 through 22. And just get a picture of that in your mind. That God who loves you so much that He sent Christ from the glories of heaven down to this world to die for your sins has prepared that place for you for all eternity. Wow. You ought to be excited about going. But you know the problem about that, don't you? There's only one way to get there. You got to die. How many of you are ready to go to heaven? How many of you are ready to die today? Well, you said, I want to go, but I don't want to die. Well, you're not the first one to struggle with that. Paul did. He was honest about it. That's one thing to say about Paul. He was honest about, it, about all his struggles and everything he did and all his struggles, you know. He said, I know the depart would be far better for me, but it would be better for you if I stayed with you. So I just leave it up in God's hands. Because so you got to die to get that. Either that or we're alive when Jesus comes back and takes his church up. Now, wouldn't that be exciting? Wow. That'd be the day, of, the great day of the resurrection when we get our resurrection body. But you got to understand that there is one problem about heaven being ready for us and for us being ready for it. And that is that heaven is a restricted place. There's only one way to get there besides dying and being raptured. And that's through Jesus Christ. Carl Sandburg, famous poet, got a place up in, he went there actually, right? This week, last week? Flat Rock. I've actually seen a play there. But Carl Sandburg was, a, was known as a great poet. Somebody asked him if there were any bad words in the English language. And he said one. And it's the word exclusive. And he defined it this way. Belonging to exclusive clubs and living in exclusive communities. Well let me remind you of something. Heaven is an exclusive place. It's a gated community. It's the original gated community. And there's only one way to enter it. It's not by race. Not by denomination, but by grace in Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice something about the gates. We're talking about the, the sermon series is the original gated community. In Revelation 21, 13, John says, On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. Now, here's what he's telling us. He's telling us that no matter which direction we might be headed, the gate is there ready to be opened for us. And you can get in it from any direction. And I want you to be very clear. You hear me correctly. Don't go out there saying that pastor that Spring Valley Baptist says there's four different ways you can get to heaven. Okay? There are four different directions from which you can come, but there's only one way. And how is that? Through whom? Jesus. Through whom? Jesus. Jesus. Only one way through Jesus. Only name given unto heaven among men by which we might be saved. You see, we talk about heaven being a restricted place. It's only restricted by the fact that you have to know Christ. 
You have to believe in Him. You have to claim Him. You have to accept Him as Savior. And, and 1 Peter 3.18 the Scripture says that Christ died to bring us to God. You know that's the, that's the extent that He's going to go to. He's not going to do anything else. He's already done that. You have to make that decision as to whether you're going to be ready to die. So, you're not ready to go to heaven unless you're ready to die. You're not ready to live unless you're ready to die. So, if you're ready to go to heaven, that means you've accepted Christ, you've embraced Him as Savior, and you're ready to go. Heaven's restricted. The only ones who can get in are those who know Jesus Christ, who are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ that He shed on the cross of Calvary. Now, what does all this mean for us when we think about this, about heaven, thinking about it in the future and living here today? Well, we ought to think about this fact that heaven is our eternal home. And we ought to have a longing for it. We ought to, we ought to be ready to go. We ought to read these scriptures and say, Lord, I, I'm ready to be in your presence for all eternity. And as we're told to do, pray that Jesus comes quickly. Even so, Lord, come quickly. And so I would say this to us who are believers. We need to appreciate and to value more than ever before what God has prepared for us in heaven. We need to value it and appreciate it more than ever before because of what God has in store for us. And we just have to do all of our reading and reading through the Scriptures and, and just being amazed by what God has prepared. Some of you might be familiar with the name Billy Sunday. He was a professional baseball player, converted, he became a great evangelist. He said this one time and I like it. He said, if we could get a real appreciation of what heaven is, we would all be so homesick for heaven, the devil wouldn't have a friend left on earth. Think about that. Then think about the little girl who went off to spend the first night away from home at a spend the night party with some of her friends at a, at a friend's house. First time away from home. About 10.30 after the ice cream, the host mother looked at this one little girl and didn't think she looked exactly right. She said, honey, are you getting homesick? And the little girl said, no, I'm getting here sick. Every one of us ought to be here sick. You believe that? Every one of us ought to be here sick because we've got, a, we've got a glorious place waiting for us. We've got an eternal home in heaven. And I, I'm not looking forward to being mansions. I don't care about that. I just want to know that I'm included in it. That there's a reservation there in my name. And when I get there, we've been waiting for you. Amen? Are you ready for that? Have you made that decision to accept Christ as Savior? See, that's the other thing. Believers, we need to value it and appreciate it more than ever before. If you have not yet come to know Christ as Savior and Lord and accepted what He did for you on the cross, then you need to do so. You simply need to ask Him to come in and forgive you. Say, so, Lord, I believe what you did on the cross. You died for my sins. Have forgiven me as I believe in you, as I trust in you. I'm ready to accept you. I'm ready to have my eternal place in heaven. And when you do that, you're ready for heaven. It's our eternal home. Father, we thank You for loving us so much that You would send Jesus to be our Savior, to die on the cross for our sins. And we also thank You that uh, You have called Him home for this time to work to prepare the place for us where we will spend eternity with You. And I just ask that those of us who, who have claimed to know You will be ready to go, and that we'll be ready to, to go whenever You call us to, to be home with You, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, and we'll be ready for that through faith in Christ. And I pray, Father, for those who aren't yet ready that they will come to know Christ, maybe even today, and make that decision. Pray about that and receive Christ as Savior so that they too will be ready for this eternal home. Father, we'll commit this time to you in the time of invitation that you would touch our hearts with your Holy Spirit and that you would bring about decisions for your glory. And I pray it in Christ's name.
Amen.